0: Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? All right, beautiful day. Grateful for that rain. Special welcome to all the newcomers here today. Welcome to everyone, but I I know there's so many different things you could do on a Sunday morning. And If you're a guest here, you're new to Carnie Free, we do extend a special welcome to you and so grateful that you chose to worship with us today. My name is Adrian. I'm one of the pastors at Carnie Free. I want to give one more quick update before we jump into the message today. I'm really excited to share this morning that we have been in talks for quite some time with Pastor Randy Madison and Pastor Randy has accepted a call to come here as our interim executive pastor and uh, you'll see Pastor Randy and Elizabeth up on the screen here. Pastor Randy was the the pastor for 20 years at Hastings E-Free Church. Wonderful, delightful man and he's part of the same organization that brought us John Strubhar and Dave Jenkins and uh, he's gonna come and join us in an interim position Uh, doing some executive pastor responsibilities, helping also uh, to preach on occasion on Sunday morning, probably every four to six weeks on Sunday morning, and uh, assist me in a number of different areas. Um, We had uh, another pastor you know here, Pastor Kevin Andres, and Pastor Kevin and Janet uh, took another church position at Finding Life Church in Omaha a couple months ago, and so we've been looking for a replacement for him. And uh, we do continue to pray for Pastor Kevin and Janet in their new call that God has brought to them, but we're simultaneously so grateful that God has provided someone for us for this next year. And I think Pastor Randy is just going to be a fantastic fit for our church and um, a great help for so many great ministries that that we have going on here. There was uh, a a little rumor that went around this past week that Pastor Randy was coming from Hastings E. Free to Kearney E. Free to replace me. I hope that rumor is not true. (laughs) no (laughs) that's a false rumor don't start rumors people (laughs) Uh, that went around somewhere and fortunately jordan heinrichson diffused that but we're excited for him to join our staff don't we have a great staff team here don't we we have such a great staff team here I I see Matt leading worship in the background, and Brian up here doing announcements, and I saw Justine out there with Storehouse, and Jordan in the first service while with the venue. I'm like, I love these people. What a joy to work with such a great staff. Truly, our church is so, so fortunate to have the staff that we do, and uh, grateful that Randy will be joining us, Randy and Elizabeth. We'll introduce them to uh, you and to our church family in two weeks on October 9th. Let's pray, and we'll jump in. Father, thank you for this morning. We do love you. We do thank you for this great church. We thank you, Lord, for every person here. And we ask, God, that you would bless them today. We ask that you would speak to each one of us. We acknowledge that we need you. Not another talk from me. We don't need that. We need you. We prioritize Christ, and we ask, God, that you would... Come in and meet us where we are. We've brought in a variety of baggage to this place. All of us have, me too. So we ask God that you meet us right there and you would lead us a little closer to Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Well, seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will fall into place. That's what Jesus says. He says, in essence, in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first what God wants done in the world, his kingdom, that more of him would proliferate all around us, and the rest will find its proper place. You'll love others well. You'll have a proper sense of self, a proper sense of others and how you're to relate to them. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and the rest will fall in place. There's a great church father by the name of St. Augustine who said something similar. Do you know the name St. Augustine? Raise your hand if you do. He was a great church father about three centuries after Jesus lived. And other than the disciples and Jesus himself, he was unquestionably the most influential person in the early church. Uh, He wrote wonderful volumes that affected the church for centuries to come, and he still continues to affect the church. And one of his favorite statements and uh, one of my favorite statements of his uh, goes like this. Love God, love others, and do whatever you want. Isn't that great? I mean, I find that so liberating. It's simple, and yet it's profound that if you love God and you love others, the rest will just kind of fall into place. You do what you want from there. Augustine said that from his perch in North Africa. He was an African man and had huge influence, again, in the church. But but this was the beginning point, that you you get your priorities right. The rest takes care of itself. Easier said than done, though, right? Right? A whole lot easier to say it than it is to do it. Unfortunately, the way we spend our days is a little bit more like this. Stay with me for just a moment. You wake up in the morning. You tap snooze on your phone. You sleep for five more minutes. You get up, you shower, you brush. You get into the kitchen looking for breakfast. Maybe scrambled eggs, maybe French toast. Yeah, right. You get into the car, you got a power bar in one hand, a cell phone in the other hand, you're driving with your knees. You get into the office, you start flag prioritizing your emails. Red for emergency, yellow for time-sensitive, green for this can wait. You have 152 reds, three yellows and a green. You go to your first meeting, and then to another 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 meeting. You are a walking meeting. Finally, you get to a lunch conference call in which you... Pretend to listen while you quietly answer a few of those red flags. Then suddenly you get a message from your mom who has learned how to text, Yay, Mom! She's buying tickets for the holidays and she can't remember how to book them online. And you text back, Mom, please not now while I am working. And you rush around here and you rush around there and you rush around here and you rush around there. And all day long you almost pee. But you never actually pee. Like it's just this spontaneous magical reabsorption thing. You pick up Johnny from flag football practice. You pick up Julie from soccer practice. You throw a frozen pizza in the oven. You whip together a salad. You tweet about it. You retweet about it. You Facebook post about it with kids that have carrots in their fingers. You call back mom. You walk her through online booking. You check on Huskers recruiting and employment updates. You help the kids with their homework. You sign some waivers that you didn't actually read. You give the kids a bath. You say a quick par- prayer. You eat a bowl of ice cream. You kiss your spouse goodnight. You hit the reset button on the alarm clock, and you do it all again tomorrow. Ah, <sighs> uh, Anyone feel like that? I'm deeply indebted to Juliet Funt, who's an author and a motivational speaker. I heard her give a monologue like that, with a lot of that language, I adapted some of it for my audience. But when I first heard Juliet Funt say that, I shook my head in amazement and said, so help me God, I don't want that. We don't want that for our lives. And yet often, that's what we're getting. So this morning we wanna talk about re prioritizing because it is wise for us to pause and ask what if there were a better way what if there were a better way what if we were part of a church that didn't add to the hamster wheel of busyness but actually invited you to be a part of only three very simple environments One environment where you come here on Sunday morning and you worship and you grow in the truth of Christ. Another environment where you're in a good community, some kind of life group, because community is the context of life change. And then a final environment where you have some kind of mission, some kind of service for the glory of God and for the good of other people. And then after that, we actually invited you to say no, and we meant it. What if? What if we were part of a church that prized, not spiritual busyness but spiritual depth what if we were part of a church that enabled people even invited people to say no after they get on that discipleship pathway in which they are doing one of each of those environment environments rather than two or three or four or five of any of those environments what if we feel what if we actually felt like we didn't have to prove ourselves by how busy we are, or if we didn't have to brag about how busy we are, and instead we gave one another liberty to loiter from time to time with Jesus and his friends. What if? What if I told you that life has room for only one consuming priority, and if we sought to organize our lives again, perhaps even reorganize and reprioritize our lives around that one consuming priority. We've been talking these past weeks about how technology can take too large of a place in our lives, too large of a place in our families. And we've been talking about how it can interrupt some of the best things that God would give to us. And we all would have to admit that we've experienced some of that. I've talked to grandparents who've expressed sadness. That they longed for the day they'd have grandkids and connect with them. And they find their grandkids are bored with them because they only want to be on their devices. There's so many different ways, so many different avenues that one could have their one consuming priority cut off at the pass. Technology is just one of those. There are great things about our technology and there's dangers about our technology. Well, we're talking about that, but we recognize as well, it's just one piece of what makes our lives so busy, so saturated today. We also have overtime at work and too many committees, sometimes at church and too many boards that we're serving on in the community. And uh, too many sports, or too many music, or too many extracurricular activities. And we live in the midst of that, and we feel this anxiety because we don't have time for the things that really, really matter. Again, as we noted in week one of this series, Jesus stepped into such a situation, and he interrupted it. Jesus lived in a time of massive social change, where people of all different cultures were coming upon the Roman Empire into cities like Jerusalem, where they could meet with him from many different languages and many different backgrounds and all different races. And he lived at a time of of, of incredible civil engineering where there was new technologies developing and aqueducts developing and dams and, and amazing transportation system. And Jesus lived in a busy culture as well. But he stepped right into that and he said, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And all the rest will be given to you as well. You don't need to strive after accumulating stuff. You don't need to strive after the worries of tomorrow. For today has enough worries of its own. Trust in me, come to me, and I'll help take care of you. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10, if you would. Open up your Bibles here. Matthew, Mark, and then Luke in the New Testament. If you get to Matthew or Mark, go over to the right a little bit to Luke. If you get to John or to Acts or to Romans, go to the left a little bit to Luke chapter 10. If you're opening up on your Bible, your Bible on your phone, your tablet, that's all fine too. We will see these verses on the screen, but I, I'd like you to, if you have a Bible, open it up but because you're going to see a number of really important words, really important ideas in these five verses of Luke chapter 10 that are critical as we think about reprioritizing. Are you there? Raise your hand if you got it. Okay, we're all there together. Okay, let's let's start in here. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Now let's just clarify here at the beginning as we prepare to unpack this passage what Jesus is not doing. Jesus is not condemning Martha. Jesus is not shaming Martha. He's not shaming type A women here. He's not shaming type A men here who love to get it done. That's not what Jesus is doing here. What he's doing is teaching Martha through an object lesson of her sister Mary... This is one priority. This is a time to reprioritize. This is a time to focus on the God who is right in front of you. Martha, let me show you something that is even better than serving. It's sitting at the feet of our Savior. I think he provides for us at least a few questions that are worth asking as we seek to reprioritize in the midst of our tech-saturated, busy-saturated world. One question that comes to my mind for for me as I see Martha and Mary and Jesus' interaction with them is, am I doing this, whatever this is, because God wants me to do it or because people want me to do it? Whatever it is, am I doing this because this is what God wants me to do or am I doing it because really at the end of the day I have some peer pressure and there are certain friends or there are certain family members or whoever they're expecting me to do this. Why am I choosing to engage in this, whatever it is? Martha's probably the kind of woman who, if you went to her home and you asked her for a cup of coffee, she would come back with a 2% double espresso mocha with whipped cream and a cherry on top. I mean, she's just an above and beyond type woman. And that's great about her, but, but the word that kept coming to my mind as I was meditating on this passage this week is the word elaborate. Elaborate. So Jesus comes into her home, and of course she wants to prepare a meal for him, and that's, that's well and fine. But she's, she's frying up the tilapia, but not just the tilapia. She's also making heros, and not just the heros. She's also making falafels, and not just falafels. Also homemade pita and hummus and baklava, and olives, and grapes, and mm, getting hungry right now just thinking about it. She's doing all of this work for Jesus when a cup of tomato soup would have been just fine for him. And she criticized her sister for not doing enough. Do we have any older brothers or sisters in this room who are known to criticize their younger brother or sister for not doing enough? You might not want to raise your hand right now. I am one of them okay? She's very harsh toward Mary. She criticizes Mary. She shames Mary. She tells on Mary to Jesus. And what else does she do? She gives Jesus an earful. Uh, Look at this passage. It's amazing. Look at verse 40. It says, uh, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve Alone? Why aren't you doing something about this, Jesus? Come on, step in. Come to my defense, Jesus. And then don't miss this. She tells Jesus what to do. Tell her then to help me. Jesus, tell her to help me. Dang it. Oh my. The gall of Martha. You don't mess with a woman like Martha. I mean, she tells the Son of God what to do. Unbelievable. The issue is, Martha's operating... Not on God's system, but on man's system. Isn't that right? She's operating according to human ideas. The human idea is I need to do this because other people expect it of me. The human idea is people come over to your home and the home better look perfect. Anyone? It's quiet in here. The human idea is people come over your home and the kids better act right. People come over your home and you better have the finest meal prepared for them that shows you you got it together. Man's idea is things got to look right. God's idea is it doesn't even matter how things look. Man looks at outside appearances, God looks at where God looks at the heart. we got to distinguish this. Why am I doing this? Am I doing it for people or am I slaving away for God? Now, again, it's not that preparing a fine meal for people is wrong. It's good. It's very good. I love a fine meal that I don't have to prepare as much as you do. And uh, the book of Romans even says, it even commands hospitality. Hospitality is a beautiful thing. It's one of the most wonderful gifts that we can provide. Some of you have the gift of hospitality, and in no way am I putting a wet blanket on that. That's a gift that's given by God, and it's one of the most powerful ways you can bring people into your home, particularly strangers or people who don't have a community of their own. That's the original meaning of hospitality, by the way. Yes, also family and friends, but strangers, people who don't have family, people people who don't have a place to belong. That's hospitality, and the Bible commands it. It's one of the greatest gifts that we can offer to people. Romans 12 says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. It's a command. So hospitality is an awesome ministry. It's a great thing that Martha cared about that. But Jesus is countercultural. There's something even better than hospitality, he's saying here. It's sitting in my presence. Sitting in the presence of Jesus is better than hospitality. The one thing that the Son of God wanted from Martha in that moment was her presence. Ordinary people might have wanted many other things from her, but the Son of God wanted her presence, and I dare say the Son of God wants our presence. Second question that I ask myself out of this passage is, do my calendars and my devices reflect the Lord's priorities? Do your calendars and your devices, do our bank statements Reflect the Lord's priorities. Susie and I were having a delightful conversation about this uh, this past week, and and she's kind of reprioritizing her life that the very first thing that she's going to do in the morning is spend time with the Lord. And that's a beautiful priority that many Christians have engaged in across so many different centuries. And the reason is because it sets the temperature for the entire day to dwell with the Lord to open up the scriptures and worship him, to pray to him, to enjoy some solitude with the Lord Jesus for 15 to 30 to 60 minutes at the beginning of your day. Start with 15 minutes, nothing wrong with that. Start small and then move up from there. That sets the temperature for the entire day. But as we were talking about this, well we also recognized that that's great for some people but it's not great for people who aren't morning people. And let me tell you, there's no rule If you insert rules onto this, you make it legalistic. And if you're not the kind of person who has good energy in the morning, that's okay. You don't need to feel shamed about that. You don't need to feel guilty about that. Find another time during the day when you have good energy. Find another time in the day that you are susceptible to certain temptations. Or you are likely to feel despair or despondency or anxiety. And ask God to come into that moment. Write Jesus into your calendar on that moment each day. There's no rules to this. You just want to get in the habit of giving God your very best energy. And Mary's such a beautiful example for us of this. Martha is doing what is important. Mary is doing what's necessary. She's worshiping. On her calendar that day, as Jesus comes over, is just one word, Jesus. I'm going to spend time with him today. Verse 39 says, Mary sat, I'd circle the word sat, Mary sat at the Lord's feet, and she listened to his teaching. She said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. God, your words are like honey to my soul. I want to eat your words up. They're so vitally important to me. I want to be in your presence and enjoy you. She's such a beautiful, remarkable example of discipleship for every one of us today. Learning to bathe in the presence of God. We are unquestionably busy today. And it, it is very, very difficult. I'm not sure that we are more difficult than, pre- or that we are more busy than, than previous generations. I know a lot of people like to say that we are, maybe we are, but I, I had two wonderful grandfathers, and they worked their tails off, oh my goodness. I mean, they worked hours, they're World War II generation men. They worked hours that, that I couldn't even imagine, and I work hard, I promise you that, but they worked hours I couldn't imagine, and they had big families, four and five kids, I got two, I mean, they had a level of busyness, a level of difficulty in the workplace that, that I, I think most of us don't have. We have more leisure than they did then, for sure. But there are a couple realities in our world that are different than theirs. One for sure is today, most of us need two incomes. Not all. And if you don't need two incomes, great, Wonderful. No judgment either way, but but most people today are living off two incomes. That's different from previous generations. It certainly makes us more busy, doesn't it? Another reality is uh, the change in extracurricular activities that has come upon our culture today. I always loved sports. I played so many sports growing up. I loved it. I played college basketball. Love sports. Sports have done so much good for me. But I tell you, what is demanded of kids who play sports today is amazing. I I mean, there are more demands on our kids in terms of the sports schedules than have ever been in the past. So in certain ways, it's true, we are busier today than our forefathers. And so it's all the more necessary for us to pause and say, I'm going to prioritize my calendar and my device being with Christ. Now I think technology, technology saturation actually makes us feel busier than we are. Because it's, it's a scientifically verified fact that if you're looking at glowing screens all day, you start to feel tired. Your eyes start to feel tired, your mind starts to feel tired, and so you feel busier than you actually are. And when you're on devices, I don't know about you, I can, I can open up my phone, I go in the news feed, and I can spend 45 minutes no sweat. And I'm like, where did the time go? There's a great quote by pastor and author John Piper who once said, one of the greatest uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. That when we go to Jesus, or Jesus comes to us, whichever one comes first, we will find out that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. I think he said that via Twitter. But it's still true. The question is always about priorities. There's a woman in this church who told me a couple weeks ago, I want my kids to know that they are my priority and not my phone. So that becomes her filter for how she uses her phone and when she uses her phone. She hasn't eliminated it. She still continues to use it. But that's her filter for how and when. I want my kids to know that they are my priority, not my phone. And so the question for us is, how do my calendars, how do my devices, how do my bank statements reflect my priorities since God invites us to give Him our all? Third, the third question goes like this Am I prioritizing worship? Am I prioritizing worship over other possible priorities? And again, in many churches, this becomes an issue because what happens in many, many churches is someone will have a glorious conversion to Christ. And can I tell you, the last week, 12 people made commitments to Christ. 12 people made commitments to Christ in this room and over in the venue, in the 915 service. Fantastic, yeah, we can clap for that. And what I want for those 12 people is this. That they have a time to pause and enjoy the Lord. I want them to know that it's okay to sit back and receive the forgiveness of Christ. I want them to know that it's okay to have a time to just learn to dwell in Christ and to learn how to study the Bible and learn how to enjoy this newfound friendship with a Savior who is forgiving your sins from first to last and not a bunch of to dos. Because unfortunately, that's what the church oftentimes does to people. They come to know Christ. And before they know it, they have 10 to-dos for Jesus. And they start to get burned out before they even know it. Instead, we want to engulf ourselves in the joy of Christ and prioritize this. And again, this was Martha's issue. Martha's primary root issue was not her critical spirit toward her sister. It wasn't even that she gave Jesus an earful. Her primary issue was she failed to worship. She got so busy working for the Lord that she stopped worshiping the Lord. And so can we. We can get so busy working for the Lord that we neglect worshiping our Lord. She was so busy cooking dinner, she missed out on the meal that was right in front of her. Listen again to Jesus' response here. In verses 41 and 42 to to Martha, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you are troubled about many things. Again, there's a good line to circle, many things. You're anxious and you're troubled about many things. But one thing, one consuming priority, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. She's chosen the better portion, and it will not be taken away from her. The one thing that's necessary is worship. It's prioritizing Jesus over everything else. Because if we seek first Christ and his kingdom and his goodness, the way we think of ourselves will be properly defined the way we think of others will be properly defined the rest of life will fall into place if we seek first christ's kingdom and his righteousness he is the better portion we all know christians that kind of walk around life with no joy it almost looks like the christian life is a holy bummer to them and i mean that's not it as you get to know christ As you learn, as we all learn to spend time dwelling with him, he's the better portion. He's the filet mignon, okay? He's the joy. It's in him that we have all we need for life and godliness. It's in him that there's the potential for flourishing. It's in him that there's the potential for the abundant life. And this is all Jesus wanted for Martha. He doesn't condemn her, he's not nasty to her. I mean, isn't he amazing? He te- she tells him off, and he responds with instruction, a gentle answer to her critical spirit. This is the kindness of Jesus. So again, it's not that social media is bad. It's not that Netflix streaming or video games are terrible in themselves. I think we do have to guard ourselves From twittering away our life on some of these things. Hospitality isn't bad. Hospitality is great. It's just that Mary chose the one thing that was best. She chose the best portion. And there is this theme throughout the scriptures. One day I'm going to preach a sermon series on it. It's called One Thing. There's like five or six different times in the scriptures that we're told, This is my one thing. There's a rich song on it. What's your one thing? What's your one consuming priority? King David said in Psalm 27, one thing I ask, O Lord, this is what I seek, that I may seek you in your temple and behold you in your glory, that I might be with you. Worship is our one thing. Now friends, I acknowledge this is a challenge for all of us and there are not black and white answers for us on how we would specifically prioritize everything in our day. And that's why we pause and we ask these kinds of questions in community. As a family, with our life groups, with our friends, we ask questions like, am I doing this because God wants me to do it or people want me to do it? How do my devices and my bank statements and my calendars reflect my priorities? And am I prioritizing worship each day? I want to show a quick video of a young woman in our church who is wrestling through these. She's a mother. She has a daughter named Charlotte, beautiful little girl. And uh, she is wrestling, she has been, even before this series started, about what it looks like for for her to be a mother of this little girl as she sometimes gets distracted by all kinds of other things. Take a look at the story of Ariel Aarons.
1: My name is Ariel Ahrens. And I have a daughter, Charlotte, who is six years old. I felt like there was a lot of instances where I would be um, very distracted with my phone. A lot of it is social media. Um, and Charlotte would come up and she would need help doing something or she would want me to play with her or need my attention in some way. And I just would say, one second, Charlotte, one second. And that continued to happen for 10 to 15 minutes. and. That went by, and I was still stuck scrolling through Facebook and Instagram and um, was very distracted and wasn't giving her the time and attention she needed. All parents struggle with this when you're on Facebook and you see um, friends and of yours, they go on vacation or they're doing this or that, and you're comparing your parenting style or your guys' life to another family's uh, parenting, and, you know, I think we struggle with believing in the lies that social media brings to us um, and we forget to believe in the truth that God, you know, has and says. And um, just struggle a lot with getting down on myself maybe about not being the best parent I can be because of somebody else and, and realizing that that's not true, you know. One of the things that um, I try to practice as a minimalist lifestyle So decluttering things, and not necessarily items in my house, but digital. You know, digitally just take a step back and uh, maybe go a couple months without social media um, where you didn't feel so stuck to your phone. And just simplifying. You know, really focus on what's important and where can I um, eliminate something and add in, you know, relationships and friendships and really uh, communicating with people in person So I feel like sometimes getting rid of social media and um, focusing more on growing your relationship, I think it gives you more time um, to build that up with friends and families, but then again, you know, it gives you the time to build your relationship up with Christ as well. And if we're living behind a phone or a camera, time is gonna fly by and the next thing you know, you're gonna have a six-year-old and you're not gonna really connect with maybe some of those memories like you could have. It matters a lot to us to have those memories, but to our children, they're gonna cherish those memories forever, you know? They're gonna have those memories of us playing at the park or, you know, helping with homework or coloring or doing those physical things with each other rather than, you know, playing this game on my phone while she colors or, you know, doing those things. So I think it just is important and just shows us how valuable our time is in in those moments. I think there's so many pros and cons to the digital age. It's just um, probably prioritizing when's the right time to use it um, because it's very easy to abuse it. It's a pretty
0: cool story, isn't it? I really appreciate that Ariel is saying there that I'm not there yet. I've missed the mark some in my parenting. But there's two words that stand out to me about her testimony. She's simplifying in order to prioritize. I'm, I'm decluttering some things on my phone so that I can prioritize my baby. Decluttering, simplifying some things on my phone to prioritize friendships or to prioritize the time that I have to look upon the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. She, in essence, is practicing those spiritual disciplines that we talked about the past couple weeks. We talked in the first week about fasting for a time from some of our digital media intake, some of our television or video intake, whatever it might be, fasting from some of that in order to reawaken our hunger for God, which some of us have lost. And then she talked about repenting. She didn't use the word repent, but it was changing her mind to change her action, turning her direction so that her eyes would be refocused on what really matters, though, that is right in front of her. These are these spiritual disciplines which we can do, which we practice on a regular basis that God put into our lives. And that as we practice them, it enables us to become more and more like Christ. There's a certain power to them. That we can't do on our own, but as we do the lifestyle that Jesus kept himself, so also we are conform more and more to the lifestyle of Jesus, to the person of Jesus and the character of Jesus. So one more spiritual discipline that I want to give to you this week is the prayer of surrender. Again, we've talked about fasting, we've talked about repentance. This morning, a prayer of surrender. And a prayer of surrender is simply to find a regular prayer to acknowledge the goodness of God and to invite his presence over your life each day. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want to encourage you to begin to practice it. And I'll give a quick demonstration of how we can do that as I close. For many, many years, at different times, I've began my morning by surrendering the whole of my body, my heart, my soul, my mind, my, my thoughts to God. And I'll just move from head to toe. Say, God, I give, I give you my mind, because my mind can go to some wrong places. I give you my hands. I give you my heart. I give you my feet. I give you my eyes and what I look at, my lips and what I say and my ears and even what I listen to. I surrender it all to you, asking God that you would reign In each and every moment, in each and every part of my life. Would you be my shepherd? Would you be my better portion? I want to encourage us to do that this week through the gift of Psalm 23. We use Psalm 23 a lot at funerals and as well we should. But Psalm 23 is not just for death. It's for daily living. And I want to encourage you, I want to invite you to this assignment. Pray Psalm 23 every single morning this week. Read it and then pray its words as a prayer of surrender to your God, asking him to be the better portion for you each day. I'd like to invite the the band on stage and I'm going to actually demonstrate this for you, okay? Give you a sense of what this might look like. And then you can do it yourself throughout this week. It's very simple, and you can never go wrong with praying the words of Scripture. One of the best bets as you're seeking to grow your prayer life, grow your devotional life, is choose a selection of Scripture, a short passage, and pray it to God. So what I'd like you to do, if you're willing, is simply extend your hands like this. Come on, come on. We're going to participate together. We're going to participate in worship together. I I don't want to be a preacher that you just listen to. I want to participate with you in worship. Because I need this every bit as much as you do. So we just extend our hands like this. And I'm I'm going to pray Psalm 23. You'll see it up on the screen. You can read it as you go. You can bow your head if you'd like. You can read it in your Bible. However you'd like to do that. But take a look at Psalm 23. Up on the screen. And whether you want to bow your head or... Read it. Keep your eyes open or closed. That's your choice. Let's pray. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Oh Lord, you are our shepherd. Would you guide us? You make us lie down in green pastures and you Lead us beside quiet waters. You restore our souls and guide us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. You're able to do that, God. You're able to put us by green pastures and lead us beside quiet waters. And some of us are so totally overwhelmed today, we couldn't imagine it being so. So I ask for my brothers and my sisters in this room today that you would plant them by streams of living water your namesake. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for you are with us, God. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. And we would just admit that some of us are under attack today. Some of us feel like we're in the valley of the shadow of death right now. Some of us feel like there's an enemy the enemy of our souls, who's like a a prowling lion looking to devour us. He's like a wolf looking to devour us. And we ask that you, good shepherd, would use your rod to swipe him away, knock him away. We refuse his lies, we refuse his accusations, we believe your truth. Protect us, God. We ask as well, Lord, we want to be your sheep, and sheep here their master's voice. So would you quicken our hearts to hear your voice again this week? To spend time dwelling with you that we could hear from you, the living God. We, we confess that we are the sheep and you are the shepherd. Thank you, Lord, that you prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Even with our enemies, God, we can have peace in you. How about that? We can have peace in God even in the midst of of our enemies you have anointed our heads with oil God would you anoint our heads with oil for this week to come God would you let us know that you are with us by the Holy Spirit that you fill us with the Holy Spirit we, we welcome you we invite you to anoint our head with oil and not just our head our whole body as well we give it all to you in you our cup overflows, you are the better portion and you our cup overflows and so we say surely goodness and kindness will follow us every day of our lives here on earth and then when we die too, your goodness and loving kindness will follow us All of the days ordained for us, and then we will dwell in the house of the Lord God forevermore. In whose name we pray. Amen.